Yo, what's up everybody? Welcome to another episode of Where They've Been. Today I'm so excited to share with you the conversation that I had with my friend Brent Silky. Brent is an incredible man. Love this guy so much. He's a great father. He's a great husband. He's a great friend. He leads an organization called 30 for Freedom. He's a Chi Alpha director at the University of St. Thomas. You may have seen him if you live in Minnesota running on the side of the road. He's run 30 marathons at this point. That's so many miles. A few of them he's actually run in a full Hawaiian outfit. Shout out Hawaii Marathon. Just incredible guy. I love him so much. I know this conversation is going to really encourage you. He shares his story from adoption to all the way to today. Such a powerful story. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Brent Silky. Maybe we can walk that road again. haircut that you just yeah, thank got you, thank you yeah i had to get a fresh cut for the pod you know what i mean dude well i'm excited to to talk through your story and and hear from you you have so many different accomplishments and so many different things we can go into and uh you know i think this could almost be as long as your marathon which is probably about you know two and a half hours at this point because your legs are like iron steel and fire hydrants is ridiculous so um i'm excited about it <laughs> What is your marathon time though? Because I talked to someone else and they're like, man, it's so fast. But I remember at the beginning, you used to tell me it was super slow. Oh yeah. It's nothing special in the marathon world, like a 317. Okay. Um, wouldn't be necessarily for my age, a Boston qualifying time. Okay. I have to run like a sub three pretty much. So you're 17 minutes away. That doesn't seem like that's pretty close in my mind. Oh, it's far. It's is it really? Hard. Yeah. Man. Like I would probably have to lose 30 pounds and like okay. completely rehaul or completely reinvent my training with a coach. 30 pounds to make 17 minutes. Oh yeah. Oh my goodness gracious. That yeah. is a really big commitment. Right. It's a goal at some point. Yeah. In this stage right now, it's not my goal. You know what I mean? I remember like the first 30 for freedom. Didn't work you like four hours? Cause you just were like, I'm just really in this just for the fun. Oh, for the actual, for the actual run that day. Yeah. yeah. Cause I remember, remember when we did it or maybe this was the second year I was going to do it. And then I busted my ankle cause my ankles are made of glass. And so I biked it instead and I got lost, felt like forever. And I just was really at the, when I got back, I was like, that was so much longer than 30 miles. This is ridiculous. Yeah. That day for me, I had a, at a mile 11 and a half. Okay. Um, news came by KSTP channel five. So I did an interview in the middle there and, you know, wanted to be kind of running obviously for the cause, but wanting to like cheer on the other people who decided to run. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people had never really run a marathon or mm -hmm. an ultra marathon before. And so um, I think it actually ended up taking me around seven hours. Really? Well, yeah. I mean, you got the interview and then you guys were doing some drone shots. That was a really cool day. That was really that was cool one of the most unbelievable days of my life. Dude, well, we're going to, we're going to talk to that, but let's, let's go all the way back to the beginning. So tell me like, let's, let's go back. I feel like some people, we go back to like a, a defining moment for them is like age nine. But I think for you, a defining moment is like 
breath one. So like, tell me a little bit, like starting like right at the beginning of your story. Yeah. Well, there was a, a young lady, 17 years old, who through mutual friends uh, met a young man and they fell in love. And, you know, they did things together like camping and, you know, all the normal things that you would do together. Mm -hmm. And they eventually parted ways. And the crazy part of the story is that, you know, a few months later, she wasn't feeling well, things were had changed, something wasn't the same. And she discovered she's pregnant. Hmm. And part of her background is that she came from an impoverished family, divorced parents, lived with her grandparents on her father's side. And so, you know, she had to drop out of school and eventually had, you know, she cleaned homes to make a living. Wow. And so then she finds out she's pregnant. And at the time, but way back in the 80s, mm -hmm. there wasn't a great way to reconnect with the birth dad. Sure. And so it was one of those stories where, you know, I'm really grateful that she chose, number one, to give life to me. Absolutely. Number two, that she went full term with the pregnancy. Um, I've read a lot and studied a lot about kind of back in the mid to late 80s, kind of how things happened in South Korean culture as it related to, you know, if you weren't married and you got pregnant and how that process unfolded. So I feel very fortunate. Mm -hmm. um, so I would imagine there's a lot of shame and a lot of, you know, a lot of, you know, anger in that situation, right? Is that, is that a definitely, definitely. It's yeah. very much an honor based culture. Mm -hmm. And so you can bring dishonor on your family, right? If there's something like that, that happens, that's yeah. completely back then outside of the cultural norms or what was acceptable. And so here she is, 18 years old, giving birth to me. And in May 28th, 1986, I come on the scene. And she also made the second thing I'm really thankful for is that she chose to give me not only life, but the opportunity for a new kind of life, a different kind of life right. uh, that put me up for adoption. And so on my birth records, actually, I think they're in the same room that I'm in right now. It says my legal status on my birthday, my legal status was illegitimate hmm. and my orphan status was abandoned by mother. Wow. And so the first two labels put on my life were illegitimate and abandoned. And I think it's a little bit harsh legal, you know, language as far as abandoned by mother. It wasn't because she was negligent and just said, Hey, I can't right. do this. It yeah. was, I want to give, I want to give my son an opportunity for a different kind of life. Lots of adoptions happening in the, in the late eighties, early nineties from South Korea uh, to the United States. And if you kind of fast or if you kind of rewind the clock and you go back to uh, would have been, like 56, 1956, okay. um, there was a, a little girl, 10 years old on a farmhouse and she was flipping through a magazine, National Geographic or something. And she, she got to, you know, she had finished and she turned it over to the cover and on the cover of this magazine, it was two little South Korean boys. Hmm. And as she, you know, was looking at this magazine, God dropped a dream in her heart that one day that she'd have kids that would look like that. Wow. So she gets married and she actually had, an, had to have an emergency surgery and they actually lost um, their first baby. Yeah. And she had, was talking to her husband. She said, hey, what would you think about adopting? Mm -hmm. He was like, yeah, that's great. And so this is how this, this is like the true story. Um, the social worker came in the room, Carol and Doug Silky are there with this little picture, this little picture of me. And they said, what do you think about this guy? <laughs> and my mom and dad were like, yes, yes, let's do this. Like, let's make it happen. Oh and man. So, you know, on my 100th day of life, I went from illegitimate abandoned orphan to literally there's a video of the silk, you know, my, my mom and dad at the Minneapolis airport. 
and the social worker bringing me off the plane, Northwest Airlines from Seattle, putting me in their arms. And I became, I was no longer illegitimate or abandoned. I was adopted into yes. the family, a son and everything. I mean, that changed everything for me. Yeah. Wow. And so the joy on my mom's face as it was a 30 year dream that God, mm. 30 years earlier, that God had put the dream in her heart, you know, when she was 10 and now she's 40 and she's holding, you know, me in her arms, a little hundred day old South Korean baby. <laughs> and then the next year, my brother Adam was adopted from South Korea. So the fulfillment of this dream actually took 31 years. Wow. And That's just, crazy. Just a crazy God story, a crazy thing. And, um, you know, grew up in Burnsville, Minnesota. Mm -hmm. uh, just a K through 12, same district, lived in the same house my pretty much my whole life. So I really grew up with a lot of stability, really yeah. strong family, really great values. Um, I went to you know church every week with my family and that kind of a thing. And so um, I look back, Jeff, on my upbringing, my my you know my youth, the the times where you know so many things could have happened. And I look at the stability and the love and the just it, I mean really it was unconditional love my parents mm. still have for us today. Yeah. Um, and I just look back and just think, wow, I'm so blessed and so fortunate to have that situation happen as it didn't start out very good. You know yeah. What I mean? yeah. You ain't kidding. Holy cow. Wow, man. That's, I don't think I've ever just like, just sitting there listening to the story. That's absolutely incredible. And to know the 31 years, I mean, to keep that hidden in your heart, you know, I'm, obviously I'm sure she's told somebody, but to hang on to that is just, that's unbelievable. That's so stinking cool. Yeah. And my South Korean name uh, is Yang Jun Kim. And I always thought my whole life, my whole life, I'm like, man, because that translates to mean brave, shiny, mm -hmm. and then Kim, the family name, brave and shiny. And my whole life, I was like, wow, maybe like my birth mom, 18 year old kid, impoverished family, broken home, dropped out of school, cleaned houses for a living. Maybe she was like, I'm gonna have my son be, I'm, he needs to be brave and he needs to be shining, whatever he does in life, wherever he goes. So my entire life, I'm like, oh, I'm telling myself this narrative. And as I actually talked to with a social worker um, last year, I said, yeah, so my birth mom would have named, named me this, right? And she said, well, Usually, actually, it was the nurses in the delivery room that would actually name some of these babies. She's like, I really, I don't have the record of if that was the case for you or not. But a lot of times it was the nurses who would actually name you. So I was like my whole like, like <laughs> the narrative that I had told myself all my life just was like, boom, like, whoa, that's wow. actually a crazy story. But someone, you know, brave and shining was the, the you know, the names um, Man, that's so cool. I couldn't think of two better, perfect words to, to say who you are. That's unbelievable. Wow. That's such a cool idea. Just someone saying, Hey, I'm going to step in, you know, obviously you don't know for sure, yeah. but to the, the imagery of saying like, I'm going to step in and this is what I know this child who was illegitimate needs to be named by like the power of names. Mm -hmm. I love I love the power of names in, oh, yeah. you know, in the Bible. And, you know, even now I just, I love the power of it. It's so cool to kind of see how that can really define and show who you are. Wow. That's unbelievable. Just last year you found that out. Yeah. I was like, Oh, I guess I've been believing this. Like I just assumed that, you know, my birth sure. <laughs> the name. So the crazy thing, Jeff, is that as I have gotten older, as I've gotten married, have children, um, you know, I actually yesterday was at a, a chiropractic appointment 
and they she said hey we want you to fill out these forms on your medical history and i was like well i'll make this really easy for you i don't know it i, no, I literally have no information so i wrote na and i gave it back to her she's like oh oh okay yeah and, you know for me you know it, it is what it is i just have come sure. to my whole life but there are three children about to be four in the world that don't have half of their family medical history equation mm-hmm. they don't know we don't know like what you know what are there any diseases in the family line? Are there any hereditary kind of conditions or things that we should be aware of? Sure. So when my first daughter was born, I remember thinking like, oh, I need to, I need to like do as much as I'm able to do to find out if I can reconnect with bio, my biological mom or my biological family. And so I know that in South Korea, they use different social media platforms, but one of the most crazy moments for me was like searching my birth mom's name in the search box and like looking at these different faces thinking like, could that be my biological mother? Could that be my biological mother? Just the craziest, you know, you're sitting in your, I was sitting in my apartment at the time and I was just like, oh, she kind of has similar facial features that I have. Yeah. Could this be, and, and just, you know, just, it was just a crazy kind of a thing. Like it's not something that I planned to do to like look on a social media search box and try to find sure. my biological family or anything, but yeah, just one of the wild, crazy things about being adopted, you know, just not knowing some of those things. So you think like, when did you know the story of, you know, the, you know, the no name illegitimate, like, did that play a role in who you are? Obviously your parents had unconditional love. They're incredible people. And, you know, they were there for you, but you know, you said like, I, one thing I heard you say is that you really tried to focus on those two things. So were you trying to combat maybe the things that were fighting you on the outside? You know, you know what I miss? You know what I'm trying to get at? Like, you think like you had to fight that at all, or was it kind of not something that you dealt with? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that every adoptee, you know, they process their story and, you know, I have a lot more information on mm-hmm. my biological family than a lot of people do who are adopted sure. in the same time frame. Um, I've talked to other people that sent me, have sent me messages on social media. They saw a video I posted about searching for my biological family. They're like, how do you have so much information? Like, yeah. It's all, it's all in my file here. It's like, I guess I have a lot. And so for me, I know that um, again, every situation is different for every adoptee. I am one of the very, I would say, kind of rare or unique stories where I don't, I've never, I've never not felt like completely loved. Hmm. Like I'm supposed, this, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Um, my, my, you know, my wife is a professional counselor and, you know, she looks at family dynamics and she says, well, one of the things is that your parents were incredibly validating of who you are. They're hmm. incredibly validating of your, of your, personality or character of who of who you are as as a man and i think about you know the i've had a lot of friends over the years who've been adopted and you know there's different stories across the spectrum of how it's gone really great or how it's been a nightmare for some people and so i you know to be honest i've never had those moments of like wow i don't like i don't belong here like Mm. i'm living in between two worlds i've never had that um one of my one of my favorite stories from middle school um, I was hanging out with some friends and I'd go over to their house every once in a while. And the littlest brother was like probably early elementary. And someone said, Oh yeah, you know, the Asian people like Brent. And he goes, Brent's Asian. <laughs> like you just saw me as part of the guys. You just yeah. saw me as part of his brother's friend group. And it wasn't, yeah. like, it was a beautiful, like innocent, like, sure. 
oh, I didn't even, I didn't even realize it's different, you know, <laughs> that that was that. So uh, I feel very fortunate, Jeff. Yeah. Have, um, I don't know, protected from that, shielded from that somehow, but um, yeah. So as I have searched for my biological family, it's never been, I, I feel like a lot of people have said, oh, I hope you really find what you're looking for. And I'm, I would love, like, this is my dream scenario. I, I'm a dreamer. You All know. Right. Yes. Come on. So tell me. I'm, I'm in South Korea. I'm at a restaurant with a translator. I'm sitting across the table for my birth mom, sharing my story, saying, I think that there's so much, I'm assuming that she's assumed a lot of shame upon herself. Yes. I'm sure. Take care of her baby and, and whatnot. And I don't know how her life has unfolded, but to be able to say like, shame off you in Jesus mm. name, shame off you. You gave me life. You gave me this opportunity. Let me just tell you about my life and tell her some of these highlight things. And then to be able to say, you know, I want you to know that this isn't, I'm not the only part of your family that you need to know about. And then Elisa and the kids come walking in and they sit down at the table. And That'd be like, so stinking cool. This is, this is my wife. These are your grandchildren. Yeah. You know what I mean? And introduce that. And I, I, I've, you know, I've done a lot of research on it, Jeff. And I know that uh, that is a very rare scenario. Mm. Um, cause she, you know, who knows, she may have, you know, grown up from there and had, you know, gotten married and had a family and they may not even know that I exist. Mm. Um, and so that could be a you know, reality shattering for somebody, you know, Hey, I'm here, you know? Yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> um, but that I would, I would love that. And I, I really have put it in God's hands. I'm like, yeah. I know my heart, you know, like my desire in this. And, um, I've had some things happen in my life that have absolutely changed everything. And I would love to just share that with her and yeah. share hope that I found and share, um, you know, like, Hey, you, you've actually given me an opportunity for a life that I don't deserve. I yeah. it's far beyond what I deserve. And so to be able to give her a hug, I don't know what the cultural norms are necessarily, but to give her a hug and just say, thanks, shame mm. on you. I love you. I'm grateful for you. And so just to learn some of, you know, some of the family dynamics or like, Hey, what happened to my birth dad? Like, did yeah. my logical father, did, you know, did you guys ever reconnect or like, what, what was the scoop there? And so it's probably more meddling and more in-depth questions that maybe someone would be willing to share with, you know, more or less a stranger. Sure. Just things that I'm like, Oh, that'd be really fascinating to even see a picture. What did he look like? Do I exactly. look like my biological mom or dad or a mixture or neither or what? Right. <laughs> That would be so cool. And you know what? I love the, I love your mindset on it because I know so many people, you know, even with their biological parents that they grew up with and know, like there's so much, Hey, I'm going to put shame on you because of what happened to me. And, and there are horrible situations, but like you have flipped it in such a way of, I'm going to take shame off of you. And I'm going to tell you, Hey, this is a beautiful thing. Thank you. Like the attitude of gratitude I think we have missed it so much in this culture where we, we very easily demonize people. Mm -hmm. And once you start demonizing someone, you can dehumanize them and then they don't matter. So then you can throw them away and you can say, Hey, I don't care about you. Put shame on you. Get out of my life. I don't want to talk to you anymore. But the gospel is such a beautiful thing where we flip that and we say, Hey, grace and peace Mm -hmm. and love. And we're able to flip that. And we understand that we have a common thing that we both are broken and we've made yeah. mistakes and then you can kind of take the shame off and put some healing on and i that's just like when you're talking about that picture like i would love to see that and be you know when you get you got to have a video crew or something like even if they're hiding in the bushes somewhere like i mean that's just a cry fest i, I almost started crying right now just like thinking about it man that would be so 
stinking cool. Just a picture of just love and redemption. Like that's a really, really cool picture. Yeah. I was actually at a conference a year ago this weekend and there was a birth mom who came up and shared her story and shared the brokenness of things. And her son was in the, it was there as well. And they got to have this, this unbelievable moment on stage. And I'm just like sitting back in my, you know, in my seat and I'm just like, Oh my word, that's exactly if I, if I could write that script, part of the script of my life, that's exactly what I'd love to have happen. Yeah. Be able to reconnect and they have a relationship, you know what I mean? Like it was such a beautiful picture of redemption of a mm -hmm. really, you know, it started out as a pretty dark and ugly situation and just how God redeemed that. And it was just on display for 800 college students. And it was just so powerful. And I just sat there deaf and I was like, man, Lord, if that is possible for me, that's what I want, you know? Yeah. That'd be so. so stinking cool. I love that. Yeah, no. And I mean, so that brings me to like so many different avenues in life. And so names and identities. And, you know, one thing is that, uh, have you ever thought about looking into ancestry.com? Yeah. Like, okay. So I was going to say, because our shared friend, Zach, he like basically <laughs> works for them. Totally. You know? he is like obsessed he one time was like tell me all of your grandparents names and their date of birth and i'm like this is a little strange and then all of a sudden i get this screenshot video like 12 minute long video that he's like so this started here and then okay now we're here and okay. he like went through it all and i'm like wait what like That's this is amazing. really cool i was just thinking like how cool would that be to spit in a little tube and and send it out into the the universe and see see what if that would make a difference at all yeah, I've uh, I've done that for three different um, things like that. Oh, so you've already done it. Okay. Yep. Yep. And so um, I'm jumping ahead in my story, so I apologize. It's not no. Um, so after Belle was born, our oldest, and I reached out to our social worker and I just said, hey, I would love to start the process of trying to reach out and trying to reconnect. She's like, okay, here's the forms to fill out. Here's all your things you need to do. And we basically got to a point where we hit a dead end. And she said, you can try to like contact me in like four or five years and we can try this search again, but it's pretty much not happening. Wow. And I, I said, you know, is there any way that I could like make a video and like maybe put it out there and see if like that could gain any traction, if people would help me share it? And she's like, I guess so. <laughs> so she's like, you, you can do whatever you want, you know, that's fine. So I made a video and I was thinking about this. It was during nap time. You'll appreciate this yes. uh, as a dad. It's during nap time. So kids are sleeping. And I'm thinking about when I watch a video, like there are a bajillion videos every day that get put on social media. Like so many. You watch something. And so I said, instead of me getting in front of a camera and speaking, I'm not going to speak at all, but I'm going to just type out my story on like pieces of paper and just hold it up and hold it up. And put it down hold it up and so i did it it was really long it was like a three and a half minute video i believe yeah i've seen it yeah yeah and i showed my my showed my daughter after nap time and i said hey what do you think of this and she's like dad it needs music it definitely needs music <laughs> so i found some track and i put the music behind it and I, I i put it out there on a wednesday and you know i got to i basically left my house and went to chi alpha and i went to service and i i saw that it had like forty thousand views i was like what forty thousand views <laughs> After service, it had like 80,000 views. I was like, what is happening? And it just kept getting shared, 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 shared. And um, a big, a pretty big um, 
you know, social media viral video kind of a place shared it. And so um, the cra- it's been really crazy. Um, it's been shared. It, it's, it has over a million views um, on theirs alone. Unbelievable. And other other outlets are picking it up and sharing it. And I was like, oh man, this could be really, this could be it. Yeah. Well, so, you know, we're, that was 2016. So now we're almost four years, five years later. And it hasn't produced any like tangible, like, hey, these are, these are your leads. Um, but so many people have resonated with just the search and just the, the mm. idea of reconnecting and helping that, like, I'm not kidding you. Like people are recommenting on the video or sending me messages like, hey, what's the update? Have you found your biological family? And um, it's been really, it's been a really cool thing just to see the people's kind of interest in that and heartbeat to, to help, you know, to help that I've seen the bright spots of humanity kind of through it. And right. some of the messages of other people who have been biological parents who've given up kids for adoption or adoptees who are saying, Hey, this is what I did. Here's the, you know, the DNA test, you know, try this, mm-hmm. try to join this Facebook group. So yeah, it's been interesting. Um, the next step basically in the process is for me to actually go there and to do some work like on the ground you know, in the area where I, my birth mom was from and that kind of a thing. So uh, definitely on my list to do um, mm-hmm. during a pandemic. In that <laughs> yeah. Uh, not the best timing right now. But yeah. Yeah. I would definitely love to do that though. And yeah, you know, we'll see what happens. Wow. That's so cool. I remember watching that video and I, I was, were you like one of the first people who did that? Like, you know, the, the like, Hey, my name is, and then it drops down. Like, because I've seen like millions of those videos on Instagram and Facebook since then. And Mm -hmm. I remember seeing yours and I was like, I'm thinking back, like, was there ones before that where you got that idea or did you like start a trend that went national? I I can't take credit for that. I I saw it somewhere like, you know, cardboard testimonies and people get baptized kind of a thing, but. Okay. But like on social media that way with a, with a song behind it, you may be the content creator. Like, I don't know. (laughs) I'm just saying I could put that in your, in your realm it's like teed up for you to just hit a home run easy for you to do well i you know i think it for me the thing that was i, I was trying to tell a story I, I i was i read through every comment i mean thousands of comments read through every single comment i replied to as many as i could until facebook thought i was spamming the video because <laughs> i kept commenting on it they thought yeah. i was like spamming my own video and one person was you- maybe he can't speak maybe this guy can't maybe he's really bad at speaking or maybe there's like some kind of thing. And, and I, I was like, you know, I just let that go. And just, just responding to people like, Hey, thanks for sharing. I appreciate you. You know, like I'll keep you updated. So I started a Facebook page for it and what, and whatnot, but um, yeah, it was, it was really interesting. You know what I mean? It was just, I, I saw a lot of good out of people. That's so cool. I love that. So keep going with your story. You're, you're in Burnsville and uh, you know, not to toot your own horn a little bit, but I'm pretty sure you're a football star. Let's just get real, you know? <laughs> You know, Jeff, I was a prolific bench warmer. I was phenomenal <laughs> cheering for people. You know, I was probably, as far as height, I was probably one of the shortest members of the entire football team at Burnsville High School. Um, but I, I, you know, never been like ultra talented in with regard to sports and things. But I, I always have had the philosophy of I, I may not be as talented as the next guy, but I will outwork anyone uh, my, my, my buddy, Tim Keneally and I were like, let's outwork every single person we can. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's no natural talent there for sports, but we were like, let's get there at 7am every single day in the summer. Let's hit the weights. Let's do speed improvement. You know, let's do all these things. And so it became something that was, I actually, it's weird. I've never said this before. 
I actually loved training more than I loved being there for a game. I love the game. There's mm -hmm. nothing like Friday night lights, mm -hmm. but I loved, I fell in love with the training. I fell in love with, with the discipline of getting there and putting in the time and, you know what I mean? Grinding through the weight sessions, you know, almost throwing up when you're going through like a, a intense speed day or something on the track or the two a days, man, come on. Oh, well, that's the thing though. Cause if you train like that in the summer, two days are still hard, no matter what, no matter how yeah. you say it. Yeah. But our coaches were so good. They got you in such good shape that if you put the work in, in the summer, you know what I mean? Like the fall kind of took care of itself more or less. And so really, really great coaching, phenomenal football coaching, conditioning coaching, and some people that I even look to today, I, I follow them on social media. I'm like, I just so appreciate their influence. Mm -hmm. so, um, one of the things for me is that I just want people to, I've been to, this is kind of a, a, a strange way to say this, but I've been to a number of funerals and I just think I hear these words that are spoken over people's lives after they're gone. And I, I I've walked out of so many different places like that and just thought, man, how many people in my life do I think the world of, but I've never, how many do I know? who have made, they have left prints of Jesus on my soul, or they have impacted my life at a pivotal time. Have I told them that? I don't want to have mm. to get to the funeral to stand up and say something that they've never heard. Yeah. And so um, I just, you know, have tried to make it a point. I know it might be dorky. It might be kind of whatever, but you know, if I find someone on social media, who's a teacher, who's a coach, who was a professor, someone who had a profound impact on my life, I just like write out a message and just say, this is specifically how you have impacted my life. That was way back in 2001 when you were my history teacher, but you made a huge impact in my life. Wow. And I love just to send that because I don't, again, I don't want to have it to be, you know, it ha I don't want it to be at their funeral where they yeah. you know, say something nice. If I, if I think it, if I, if I experience something, I want to tell them, I want to yes. let them know. Yes. Like doing that, you're impacting so many kids that are in your history class. You're impacting so many coaches. And so, um, you know, just even thinking about, my coaches and people that inspired me in high school. Like, I just love it, man. I just, I'm mm. so thankful for them. And part of the reason probably that I loved training in the summers and training in the off season was that I had phenomenal coaches, great mm -hmm. teammates, you know, mm -hmm. people like that. So, um, yeah, again, I just have, I found myself in a, in a, on a great team with great people around me. So I'm thankful. I mean, that makes sense that you would, especially knowing you now that you would like the training because you trained so hard for, you know, we talked about a little bit earlier, but you have done a ton of marathons. So you train, you have to train pretty hard in order to, I mean, 317, that's a, a thing I will never get to. I'm just saying that. And with no, no. shame in my game, man, never know. I got, I've had four knee surgeries, so I ain't getting there. You know what I mean? Anyways. So like, it's just, you know, there, that, I, that makes sense that you would have that tenacity, but I, I love that you said about just telling someone like, you don't want to be hearing it at their funeral. You want to like, tell them you want to yeah. encourage them. I mean, like, let's just tell people what we actually think. That's nice. Instead yeah. of the other way around. I mean, it's so easy to just go negative, but if you stay positive, that's really a cool idea. Like what if anyone who's listening to this goes back to someone who made an influence in your life and they flat out just say like, Hey, you helped me here. And that's it. No strings attached. No, nothing like that. That would, you could change someone's day. Even if it's just their day, that, that makes a difference. And I, I agree with you. I had some pretty cool coaches that really made a big impact. You know, I had one coach who was like super tough guy and he's a Christian guy. And he was like, if I was slacking, 
I would just hear my name, Lester, just scream from across the field. And it was just like, I'm sitting there like, oh man, I'm tired of this, you know? And, but then when I had a pancake or I truck stick some guy, he was always the first one there Mm. to celebrate. So I learned a discipline from him in a roundabout way that he never once said, I will be the first, like people on my team, I will be the first one to call you into something higher, but -hmm. I will also be the first one to celebrate with you when you do something great. So good. And I've said that to Abby, that I want to be that person for Hudson, you know, that I'm going to be one of the hardest people on him that I'm going to really be, I mean, like love, like in that way, not, not mean, not harsh, but I want to say, Hey, I see something in you in an encouraging way. And then when he is slacking, I'm going to say that, but when he does something, I want no one to celebrate him better than me. I want to give him the best gifts. I want to just, just be like, you're incredible because I think that has shaped me a ton. Like I think back Mm -hmm. to those moments and I can still remember and you know, what's funny. I remember all of the celebrations more than I remember the slacking off. And I'm telling you, there was way more slacking off than there was celebrations. <laughs> so, but I, it just like sticks in your mind and yeah. you can, it helps shape like I, I can do this. Like I can get there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard a, a stat from Josiah Canale on his podcast um, during the pandemic. And he said that one in three young people, only one in three know that someone believes in them. Wow. And I was like, not on our watch. Come on. Like we have to do something about this. And I think about what you said about Hudson. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think about my kids, you know, Um, I think a lot of times as dads, you know, generalizing this a little bit, but a lot of times as dads, we feel something about our kids. We're proud of them. We love them. We're like, you are amazing. Like you just, I can't believe that you like understood that concept and you put it into action. I can't believe that you had the self-restraint to not do that. Uh, You listened really well, like whatever Mm -hmm. it might be. And I think one of the things for dads is that our kids need to hear that. Mm. They need to hear that because they're hearing everything else from everyone else. Mm-hmm. But if they can hear that from their father, if they can hear that from their dad saying, Hey, I'm, I am proud of you. I try to look my kids in the eye every day and like speak life over them. Yeah. And of course there's times of correction. Of course there's things that they need to learn and grow in. Um, but man, to speak life over our kids, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's one of the most important like functions of my life. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, Someone else could lead our ministry. Someone else could run the marathons. Someone else could do whatever. But I'm the only person that gets to be the dad to those kids upstairs. You know what I mean? And so to be able to speak those words over them, um, it's probably my most important job, you know, until I go home. Oh, 100% it is. And I agree with you. I mean, and you even know that from personal experience with, you know, your life, like how important that is you know, and the role that your parents played in your life, like Elisa said that they're so validating, like, you know, that role. And I agree with you, like someone else can lead a ministry, someone else can do this, they can hang out, they can do whatever, like, this is the thing that's been entrusted to me. This is the thing that I want to do best. And unfortunately, in life, I think these, you know, the people that are closest to you are usually the people that you hurt the most because just by definition, they're close to you and you're, it's messy and that's just life. But hopefully through that, they can also be the people that you love the most, that you are there for the most. And, and I agree with you. I think that's a, you know, being there for them is the most important thing we can do. And, and I don't know about you, this is kind of a, on the sappy side, but when Hudson was born, and I don't know if this is how it was um, for Belle, but like, 
when we brought him home, it was just like this moment where I just looked at him in the crib and he had uh, Billy Rubin. So like he had to have the blanket on. Mm -hmm. And um, so I just like looked at him and I ended up just, I just looked at him and he was asleep, obviously baby sleep for like the first three weeks of their life. And he, I just said like, I love you to him. And I remember I just started crying. Like what the heck's wrong with me? I, you know? And I, I remember looking at him and it was as much for him as it was for me in that moment. And I was like, I'm saying this for you, but I'm saying this for me too, to remind myself. And there's this moment where, you know, parents talk about it and people talk about it. where like something shifts and you're like, man, I really, this is one of the things that I want to do well. And I've thought about that a lot. Like I try to, I try to every day say that, um, you know, or you're great at this. I'm proud of you. I care about you. Um, and I try to do that every day and I'm not perfect at it, but I, that moment sticks in my mind where it was such a, def I don't know why I probably need to go to counseling, but you know, I don't know why that was such a defining moment in, in, in like my parenting of like, I wouldn't had to say this to him the moment we brought him home. It was wow. so weird. So powerful. Yeah. I don't know why I, I definitely need to get some counseling, you know, too bad. I don't live closer to you guys than could hook me up with some of counseling <laughs> friends. Counseling's great, man. It's changed my life. Saved my life. Definitely. Since oh, I agree. 100%. I am 100% pro counseling. I personally, me and Abby have talked about this because Abby worked at the same organization um, that your wife did for oh, yeah. a while. And, uh, and so, you know, we're all in, we love it. And we both talked about this the other day. We're like, yeah, I think we should just be in it like our whole life. Like well, I'm okay with it. Like, I think it's just great to do. So yep. I think it's a, just a really powerful thing. Just the, the opportunity to have someone that you can fully trust and who's not any bias, you know, like we have biases and a lot of times they come out, unfortunately, like, but this person like is paid to, you know, just really help you move forward. And yeah. I, I'm all hundred percent in. So, yeah, it, it's, I mean, honestly, we all need to go to the doctor probably for a physical, right. Make sure we're healthy physically. You know, we go to the, hopefully go to the dentist right? <laughs> where our, our dental, you know, hygiene is in order. And I think too, like there's a, there's a real mental health crisis in America, in the world yeah. Yeah. You know, where it's like, man, our life could go so much better if there was someone who was speaking into it. And I was in a counseling session once my counselor said, Brent, that's just wrong thinking. And I was like, I like, it stopped me in my tracks. And I was like, wow. Hmm. thank you <laughs> like yeah. i need someone to just to say that like dude yeah. that's wrong thinking oh wow help me help me like relearn this help me reframe this you know yeah so i'm, I'm with you on the counseling thing i hope i hope to help destigmatize you know counseling and mental health stuff and um yeah it's a big passion of mine for sure yeah absolutely i agree i agree 100 also about the dentist i feel like <laughs> you know, no shame. I feel like I brush my teeth a little bit less because I know I'm going to have a mask on, but you know, probably shouldn't say that, but just getting real honest. You know? Hey man, do you. <laughs> oh, at the end of the day, I haven't been to the dentist like three years. So whatever, you know, moving on, this is just not about my, my teeth <laughs> problems here. It's about something else. <laughs> so, you know, getting, going through high school, um, you know, tell me more about that and just kind of the transition into college. I, did you go to North Central the whole time or? No. 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 Okay. Yeah. So tell me more about that. So my high school experience was amazing. I loved high school. I know some people have different experiences in middle school and high school. I loved both. It was just awesome. Um, you know, there's always the awkward moments and there's always the learning curve things, right? Yeah, sure. Um, 
but to play sports, to be on the track team, to be on the football team, um, certainly aware of my uh, limitations as a basketball player, but I was actually the girls basketball manager. Let's go. Awesome. I loved it. And I uh, led to a coaching role when I graduated. Um, but just loved, I just love sports. I love being around athletes. I love being around people that are they're they're putting in the intentional work agreed i love that i'm drawn to that mm-hmm. so uh yeah loved loved high school i you know applied to just a couple of colleges one of my greatest regrets in life is not listening to my father doug um he, you know he said hey you need to apply for scholarships you need to do all you know you need to put in the work here because it will pay great dividends later mm-hmm. i'm 17 years old i got stuff to do like yep. it wasn't on my top you know 40 things to do but i did apply for a number of scholarships and i was surprised that i received a lot of the scholarships i applied for and you know looking at looking at like student load the average student debt load that someone comes and graduates out of college with i look back and think my dad was so smart. I should have listened to him and and just put in the work of filling the applications out or interviewing or whatever it was, whatever it was, because it literally would have saved me years of paying off student loans. Seriously. Later, yeah. Right. So if there's anyone out there with kids or in high school, if there's anyone listening that's, you know, <laughs> in the same boat, just fill the application out, do it. It's probably online. Back in the day, it was paper copies that I was filling out. But. Oh, how archaic back in the day. <laughs> I go to this little drawer and I pull this out for this one I close the drawer at my guidance counselor's office. But uh, I loved Burnsville, man. And I, my whole life was Burnsville High School. My whole life was um, being a part of the Burnsville Blaze culture. And so the thought of going to college, I was like, I'm going to go to University of St. Thomas. I'm going to get my, I actually wanted a triple major. I clearly didn't know what that meant. Um, and I wanted to go in education. I want to become a coach. I wanted to be uh, work in special education coach and do some, do some FIAT as well. Um, and so I went on a campus visit in 2004. It was January. It was so cold. And I remember walking around campus and I was, it was, I was so cold, Jeff. I, I distinctly remember walking around campus thinking like, I can't, it's too cold. I can't go here. <laughs> I mean, we're walking outside of Minnesota. What do you, what do you think? It's going to be warm. Yeah. But you, you know? only live like 20 minutes from there. <laughs> it was just down the street. You know what I mean? <laughs> But I remember thinking like, this is not the place for me. I, I, I love this campus. I think it's amazing. I was gonna, you know, try to go and help warm the bench, you know, for football and whatnot, but um, decided Roll it was times. me. Roll times, baby. And I remember thinking like, what am I gonna do when I graduate? And I was mm. like, well, I can go to community college. My dad's like, well, you can go to community college. You can take your scholarships and go there. And basically my first two years of school, praise the Lord, were covered, completely covered. And so that's amazing. Uh, yeah, really thankful for that. That was very helpful. Um, so I went to Normandale Community College for the first two years to just get some general education credits. And it was that fall of 2004 that changed everything. Hmm. And um, I had friends that since like the eighth grade, they had invited me to their church and I'd, I'd gone to a few events with them, but it wasn't something where I was like super interested in going with them. And I got to a point where I felt like everyone had moved away to college, except for me. So how I felt, um, everyone was moving on with their life. I was trying to figure out who am I, what do I believe? What do I stand for? Like what, like I'm becoming this adult, they tell me, but I don't feel like an adult. I feel like a lost child. Mm. And I remember my friend, Micah McDonald saying, Hey, why don't you, why don't you come with me tonight? I was like, well, I'm not in high school anymore. Is it okay that I'm a freshman in college? He goes, it doesn't matter. It's all good. So I go to this church 
and I don't come from a religious tradition where we have any kind of like super outward expression of worship. Mm -hmm. And so I walk into this big sanctuary, like holds 1800 people. There's hundreds of students in there and some of them have their hands raised in the air. They're singing. I'm like, this is, this is a little bit much for me at first. Sure. And the longer I was there, Jeff, I, re I recognize that whatever they're singing about, these people believe it. Hmm. This isn't just some kind of religious practice for them. Like they believe what they're singing about. And I was like, I had never seen passion like that. And so uh, the, the youth pastor, Ryan Scoo got up and he shared his message. I have no idea what he preached on, but he ended his messages the same every week. He laid out the gospel. He laid out this idea. And he said, so, he said two things that changed my life. He said, I want you to know that if you're here tonight, there is nothing you can do so bad that would make God love you less than he does. His love doesn't change because he doesn't change. And I, I, I knew I had a concept of that growing up, going to church. But the second thing he said, it just blew my mind. He said, and there's nothing you could do or accomplish that would be so great that would make God love you more than he already does because his love for you doesn't change because he doesn't change. It's unconditional love. And I was like, whoa, wait a second. I can't, I can't earn this. There's nothing I can do as an achiever. Like I, I can't earn my good graces with God. He said, the only way that you can have a right relationship with God is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting there and I heard this message week after week after week. I just was drawn back to this place. And I, I, I heard this message. I sat in the back row and one night I just bowed my head and I just talked to God. And I said, you know, I, I pretty, pretty much messed up a lot of areas of my life. I'm not proud of a lot of things that are happening right now. And I just want to follow you. I want to serve you. I want to give my life to you and just lead me wherever you want me to go. And I remember I didn't necessarily feel, it wasn't like lightning came down or it wasn't like the cloud sure. parted that night. Um, but there was a change that was happening, Jeff, that I could not explain. It was a supernatural change that began to happen in my life. The things that I, I was like so hungry to go after and to try to do, those things changed. Hmm. And I went on a missions trip two years later. It was to Costa Rica. And I remember um, the missionary wanted me to share my testimony about being adopted, right? And he said, your story of coming from brokenness and how God has come into your life and become your heavenly father and all these things, it will just, it will be so relatable to so many of these students. And I'm sitting there in a church service and we were upstairs in this beautiful church, outdoor church, kind of a thing, um, like open air kind of a thing. And there were like 38 kids in this kid service and we did puppets, we did songs, we did all these things. Mm -hmm. And at the very end of that kid service, one of my friends, Dave Skein, preached the gospel and he invited kids who wanted to receive Jesus into their life and, and follow him and, and all these things to raise their hand. And 35 of the kids raised their hand. What? Out of, Out of the 38? I, I was so wrecked. I had to leave the room and go find a restroom. And I was sobbing and weeping. Wow. And I just, I just, I felt like, God, I don't speak very, I don't speak Spanish very well. I don't necessarily like understand all of what's happening right now, but if I can be a part of this, of people experiencing you, that's what I want to do. That's wow. what I want to be a part of for the rest of my life. I don't know what it looks like. I don't, I don't know. I don't feel qualified as a communicator. I don't feel qualified as a leader, but if I can be a part of that, that's what I want to do. Yeah. And so I came back that summer, 2006, and I was going to go to North Central after my first two years of community college. And I was debating on youth ministry or youth development. I was thinking youth mm -hmm. development, 
but I just felt like God was like, here, go over here and do this. Just mm-hmm. trust me. And so went into youth ministries, became an intern at Cedar Valley Church where I get, got saved a couple years earlier. And I just couldn't get enough, couldn't get enough of seeing God come and intersect lives, young people's lives, broken as I was when I came, I stepped into the church, you know, sure. and experiencing healing, experiencing transformation, experiencing this Jesus that changed everything for me. And then I learned in the, in the, in the scriptures that talks about how we are adopted into God's family. Mm-hmm. And I thought about the fact that when I was adopted in 1986, I went from an illegitimate abandoned orphan to being a son, a beloved son in the silky home. And I had 18 years old. I went from being a spiritually illegitimate, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. broken, you know, whatever to being, becoming a son adopted into God's family. Yeah. As how powerful that was. And I thought about this in 86, it cost $5,000 to adopt me. So $5,000, every adoption has a cost. And thinking about the cost that Jesus gave his life so that we could be adopted through faith into his yeah. family. Never it's a beautiful be a, picture. Yeah. Beautiful picture. And so um, my whole life, Jeff, I just want people to experience Jesus and the hope that he gives us and to be able to realize the things that he could do in their life. That's what I, I just, I, that's what I'm about. That's what, you know, he changed my life as an 18 year old kid. And I just want every person to know that love, to know mm-hmm. that hope because it does change everything. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's an incredible story. The missions trips. I love missions trips. I think they change your perspective, but 38 or 35 out of the 38. Yeah. And you just get like, I was thinking about, you know, even my own experience, but like, you just get, you see someone's life change and that's like, we want to be a part of that. You know, like that's usually why I feel like what sucks people in to the ministry is like, whoa, I, if I can see this through what I'm doing and I know I'm not perfect, then that's what I want to do. Like, that's yeah. so stinking cool. I love that, that idea. And man, so, so you went to North central, went to youth ministry, went to Cedar Valley, and then, and then you started and you were a youth pastor at Cedar Valley, correct? Yeah. So kind of a wild thing. My wife started at St. Thomas after she graduated from North central and she started in her master's uh, program there at St. Thomas. And so when I graduated, she was still in her program for her master's and I was done with my undergrad. And so the guy that I was serving under, Pastor Jeremy Chapman, love him. So thankful for him. He said, um, hey, why don't we hire this guy? Give him a shot. Why don't we, you know, see how he does for his first year in ministry? So they created a role for me. It was mm-hmm. I was the student discipleship pastor. Yes. So they, it was awesome. I love small group ministry. I love discipleship ministry. And so um, had the privilege of serving in that capacity. And then as uh, pastoral change and transition happened, um, I eventually, a year and a half later, became the senior high pastor. And so I got to be ministering to high school students and young adults in the place where I had, you know, my life had been so radically changed by God. And it was the most unbelievable time. And one of the crazy parts, Jeff, is that one of our interns was Josiah Keneally, who then would become our young adult pastor. One of the, our other staff pastors is Micah McDonald, the guy that invited me to church. Mm-hmm. He and a couple of other friends started praying for me in eighth grade after a youth service. They said, well, who, who is someone in your life whose life could be radically changed by Jesus? So they started praying for me every single day from eighth grade until I got saved as a freshman in college. Fast forward the clock. Mike is the junior high pastor. I'm the high school pastor. Josiah Keneally is the young adult pastor. Unbelievable. It was one of the sweetest seasons of ministry, serving under a great leader, Jerry Stranquist. Yeah. Uh, to be able to do life and ministry so closely was 
dear friends. Uh, nothing, nothing better, you know? Yeah, that's incredible. That's so cool. And also when I was at North Central, I came to a few Cedar Valley services. I remember with my North Dakota bros. And that's where I, uh, that's where I met you actually for yeah. the first time. Crazy. I think it was the, the North end of the, of the new building at Cedar Valley of, yep. of the, not the new building, but the, the new add on that we yeah, had yeah. the gym and theater and the big hallways and stuff. Yeah, that was such a blast. So that's crazy, man. To be able to do ministry with with your close friends is just one of it's just like, you know, you know, having a job with them is just one of the the funnest seasons. Like the, when we had a varsity Chi Alpha, like it was yeah. just an absolute blast, you know, nothing just better. like nothing better than it. No, yeah. absolutely not. Yeah, man. So tell me, how did you get to where you are now? Because now you are, you're the Chi Alpha director at St. Thomas, which is so cool because how many times have we heard St. Thomas in your story? Now <laughs> this is what you are. And uh, and you also do, um, you know, you have a, I don't even know what your position is, but you're the founder, I believe, of 30 for Freedom, which is an incredible organization. And you do miscellaneous millions of things on the side. So um, in addition to incredible dad, husband, all this great stuff. So how did you get from, you know, hey, love and ministry at this point with my best friends, kind of the ideal situation yeah. who would want anything better right. to where you are. And which not to say now is not ideal. That's not what I'm trying to say, but no, no, I understand. You know For what sure. I mean? Like how'd you make that transition? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that led to our transition in ministry. I think one of the strangest, to be honest with you, it was like, man, the end of 2014 or very early 2015, I walked into Micah McDonald's office. I walked into Josiah's office and I said, am I making the greatest possible impact for the God's kingdom that I could be hmm. in the current role? And they're like, uh, like, what a weird question for your friend to ask you, right? <laughs> like, no, I, I don't think you are, Brent. And like, I don't know, they didn't say that. But I, I just, I, I was feeling a stir. I was feeling like something was, is going to be changing. Um, the second bizarre thing, I walked into their office then a different day. And I said, hey, if I ever became a missionary, what would you think of that? <laughs> they're like what is is he having like a, a quarter life crisis here yeah what's, like what's, what's going, on? going on you need to buy a motorcycle or what <laughs> came in with different color hair no <laughs> um and they were just kind of like that's kind of weird man and so yeah. long story short the um i my phone was blowing up one day and i was like what is happening is my executive pastor roger lane great mentor in my life and leader and he said, Hey, a guy named Mike Amy, I just came by the church. I really think you need to talk to Mike. I was like, okay, awesome. Let's talk to Mike. So the next day Mike's in my office, he brings me a big cup of coffee. I'm like, Oh man, he's speaking my love language right there. And he says, Hey, what would you think about helping us start Chi Alpha at the private universities in St. Paul? Hmm. And I was like, okay, tell me more. He's like, you'd start it, you know, like this idea of reaching all five of the private campuses there. And, and preaching the gospel and building a team and doing these things. And I'm like, this sounds awesome. Mm -hmm. I was like, man, this must come with like a pretty like legitimate, like salary package and things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he leaned back in his chair and he's like, well, uh, actually the way that we have our model set up for Chi Alpha is that you actually have to raise your own support as a missionary. And I was like, oh no. So this is the life. Oh, no. This is the life stage we're at. We <laughs> just purchased our first home. Oh man. Like December, I'm having this conversation in March. So four months later, we just had Clara, our second. So I have a three-year-old and I have a three-week-old. Oh and I'm my goodness. And the thought of becoming a missionary, I was like, I know for sure this is not God's will for us. 
I want to take a moment to tell you about an organization that I truly believe in. It's called 30 for Freedom. Did you know that every 30 seconds someone becomes a victim of sex trafficking? The average age of a trafficking victim is 13 years old. The age of a 7th grader. 30 for Freedom is a movement that exists to end sex trafficking in our lifetime. This whole thing started with a guy who had a dream to run 30 miles on his 30th birthday with 30 of his friends to raise $30,000 to rescue people out of the nightmare of sex trafficking. But what's happened is it's grown into a multi-state movement of passionate people who are making a difference by raising funds to do sex trafficking prevention, rescue operations, and holistic survivor care. Since its beginning, 30 for Freedom has raised over $832,000. They are 100% volunteer-led, which means 100% of every donation goes directly to the front lines to help people. Venture, Free International, and Project Rescue are the organizations that 30 for Freedom invests into financially, doing the anti-trafficking work domestically and overseas. Check out 30forfreedom.org to join the movement, give a gift, run, do something, be a part of making a difference, and ending sex trafficking in our lifetime. But I said, I said, hey, I'll pray about it. And sure. I'll, you know, it's the pastorly thing to say. Yeah. So it's kind of was- like, I'm just going to delay this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> the Minnesota nice, I'll pray about yeah. it. Yeah. But I, I said I would. And so that night, uh, it was a youth ministry night, Wednesday night. At the end of the service, Micah McDonald preached. He said, hey, we're not going to leave the room. Don't leave the room until you've heard from God. I was like, okay, let's go. So I went to the back of the room. I laid down on my face and I started praying. And I've never had this before or since, but God gave me the clearest vision I've ever had in my life. I was standing at a place on the campus. I had a Bible in my hand that was open and I had students around me. And my wife knows my favorite place in the church is Wednesday night in the lobby. There's all generations, kids are running around, parents, grandparents. It's the greatest place ever. I love the church lobby. And she couldn't find me. She's like, Where's Brent? Where's my husband? So she comes in with our three year old and our three week old. She comes in, she sees me laying on my face, and she says, Is everything okay? And I said, I don't think so. I really don't think so. I think God might be calling us to do this ministry. We're like, Holy cow, this is bananas. This is crazy town. Mm. So we prayed, we talked to John Michael Sherman. We talked to some different people, trusted mentors, Roger Lane, Jerry Strangquist, people in our life. And my mentor through the process was pastor Neil Rich, who is actually now the lead pastor at Cedar Valley. Yeah. And he said, Brent, every time you talk about this Kai Alpha thing, you have so much passion in your voice. If you don't do it, you're an idiot. <laughs> That's what he said. He's the greatest guy ever. I love that. Just says it's straight. Right. And I said, okay, God, I will give my life to this if you will show me one final sign or, or some kind of confirmation that this is your will for our family. Because this is a huge change. This is a massive, massive change. change. And so I'm at district council with all the pastors gathered. It's a prayer, it's a prayer t- service. And I'm just got this heavy, heavy burden. I'm just like feeling like crushed by the weight of this. And a pastor stands up and reads out of Isaiah 41. I've called you from the ends of the earth, from the mm. far, its farthest corners I've called you. And I'm thinking in my head, I am from a different corner of the earth, right? I have chosen you. I have not rejected you. I've called you my servant. And I'm like, oh man, the prayer that I prayed, you know what I mean? When I got saved, mm-hmm. you want. Um, I will go before you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So don't be afraid. 
I lost it, Jeff. I am sitting on the front row at Emmanuel Christian Center. I have tears streaming down my face. I have snot coming out of my nose. It is a mess. And I just knew that that was God saying, okay, you want a final sign? Here's two verses for you. Yeah. I'll do it. And my greatest fear as a dad and as a provider was, I don't know how we're going to possibly raise support as missionaries. Yeah. Like, how's this going to happen? By the end of that day, when we first felt called, we didn't have an account set up yet. We hadn't been interviewed yet for this job. Seven different people, friends or churches had heard about it because I was so burdened the day before. And I was just like, hey, they're like, what's going on? I'm like, I just, we feel like God's leading us to start Chi Alpha in the city of St. Paul and to go to this school and do this. They're like, well, we'd love to support that. We think that'd be awesome. You should come to our church seven, seven. And I just was like, okay, God, you're amazing. This is, we see you in this. We're going to go all in. And so we just went all in. Um, it's been the hardest thing I've ever done in my life by far, bar none, starting a ministry um, <laughs> that didn't exist in a place that has never had it before. Yeah. Or, you know, learning um, how to respect and understand um, how different private schools function compared to the U of M or so different. Yeah. Places. Um, it's also been probably the, one of the most rewarding things we've ever done hmm. to be able to walk alongside of college students and help them find Jesus and follow him for a lifetime to see that, that, you know, when they come in as freshmen and they, you know what I mean? And just to see the transformation that God brings over a four year period of loving them well and discipling them, you know what hmm. I mean? It's that mm-hmm. kind of thing. There's been nothing more rewarding than that. Yeah. And yeah. So kind of that, you know, it's that, that, that just the way that God works is just, it's so far beyond how would I understand but I would say this, where God guides, he always provides. And if we will have the posture of our heart to say, God, I will go if you say go. And then to obey, to obey that, mm-hmm. um, it's unbelievable what he can do. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. I mean, you and you were tenacious. I remember when you started and uh, you were starting Chi Alpha. I mean, you know, you hung around us and we had kind of a friendship and we were doing Chi Alpha at the same time. And you're kind of like, hey, what about this? What about this? And, you know, I'm sitting over here and I was just like, man, this guy's just got this church and ten- just tenacious about support and just sharing vision. Like, I mean, but that's how you got to be like when you start anything, it doesn't matter if it's a ministry, if you're starting a small business, if you're starting, yeah. you know, you want to be a TikTok influencer, you got to have a vision, you know, I mean, I don't know about that. Maybe it depends, but you know, like you have to have a vision. You have to be tenacious to go after that, which you could just kind of see it throughout your whole story. How it taught you talk about like that tenacity is just like consistent, how you like training more than you like playing. It's like, Hey, you have this in you where you're like able to kind of push through. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like you were being trained to step into this role mm-hmm. to do something that not many other people could do on a private university. So I just think that's such a cool, you know, when you look at the whole picture, it's just really cool. And I love what you've done at St. Thomas. I mean, we're huge fans and just really believe in, you know, what you're doing there. It's just such a, such a great university. And I don't know. I mean, I would, but I don't know if I would do it as healthy as you did, you know, of like, Hey God, I'm going to stay here until I get a word. And then just be able to kind of say like, I don't know, we might make the biggest change of our lives. That's putting everything that we have in jeopardy, Mm -hmm. just buying a house. I mean, that is, I don't know if you can really put into words, like how big that is. That's huge. The weight of that is huge. It, it, I agree. It is huge. And just the, the thought of that was, it just scared. It honestly scared me. Yeah. Like I was like, Oh my word, what is going to happen here? And then when God, gave that those two verses, I was like, 
I just felt it lift the burden I was carrying. Lift. And I was like, okay. And then when he started to open up the doors for different people and churches to say, Hey, we, we believe in, you know, helping college students find Jesus and follow him for a lifetime. Let's go. You know what I mean? Like that, it was just like, okay, God, we, we see your, we see your handiwork here and mm-hmm. we want to just go where you've called us to go and do what you've called us to do. And, um, yeah, it's been an old, it's been a wild ride and amazing adventure. Um, we could not do what we do without the amazing support of so many people mm-hmm. who pray for us, who support our ministry. And so, um, yeah, I, you know, I hearing the the vision from, from the university of Minnesota team, you know, hearing what I, I remember John Michael sharing this, he's like, we just love St. Thomas. We just love St. Paul. We just want to help get something started. So how can mm-hmm. we help? So I'm just, I'm just, sharing all this with this incredibly grateful heart mm-hmm. um, it's a team effort it could never happen from one couple or from one you know whatever um but this this multitude of people that have said let's reach college students with the love of christ so yeah that's so cool yeah so so explain like so you're still doing this kai alpha thing and then for your 30th birthday you want to throw this this big idea of you want to punish yourself by running 30 miles and uh, somehow you get all of your friends, including me, to sign up for it. So, I mean, <laughs> tell us more about that because, okay, the vision behind it is incredible. Like I'm 100% all in on everything. Share a little bit of that and uh, of what that is and even why, you know, you would want to do it. Yeah. Uh, starting way back in 2005, I was talking with Aliza, who's now my wife. At the time, she was my friend before she was my girlfriend. And she talked about human Hey-o. Hey, oh. Um, she talked about human trafficking and I, I just didn't believe her. I said, there's no chance that that's a thing. There's mm-hmm. no way that people could do that to, to, to children. Like, like I couldn't, I was just utterly horrified. I went to a chapel service in 2006 in so the next year. And I heard the stories I heard from oh. David Grant, the things that happened and he's you know working in with project rescue in India and just the amazing work that they, they do there. But I was wrecked, man. I was forever changed by that chapel. I was unsuspecting that that, cha- that was going to be a day that changed my life. Yeah. I knew, you know, you go to a service, you go to a church service, you hear a story, you know, you can pray, you know, you can give. But I felt like this deep something within me, this holy discontent that something more had to happen. And I didn't know what that would look like. I had like a hundred bucks to my name when I was in college. You know what I mean? Like um, I could give, but what but what more could, is God asking of me? Yeah. Fast forward. 20 years old when I hear that chapel fast forward nine years and I'm sitting at a Perkins with one of my former youth kids who's now in the Marine Corps he's home on leave over uh kind of Christmas time and he says hey Brent what's new and I said man I'm turning 30 in five months I feel like God's put a dream in my heart to run 30 miles on that day it's a Saturday and to have 30 people run with me to raise thirty thousand dollars so we can fight sex trafficking because every 30 seconds someone becomes a victim and he reaches in his pocket after breakfast and he hands me a $100 bill. And I said, no, no, I got it, man. I got it. He's like, no. He said, I hear briefings about trafficking in the military all the time. It's horrible. We have to do something to end it. And he hands me Come on. a $100 bill. So in effect, he put his money where my mouth was. Mm. I hadn't done anything yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Come I, on. It, wasn't, it wasn't a thing yet. So now I'm like, oh man, I got to do something here. Now you Once have to. No, I have to. Yeah. I went to my car and I sent a couple of emails saying, you know, to our district and to Venture. My youth pastor co- is the co-founder of Venture. And I said, hey, you guys do, you make your, you help people make their miles matter. 
could I, could you help me make my miles matter on my 30th birthday and raise $30,000 to fight trafficking? Yes. And then Pastor Mark D and the district said, let's go. And so I started calling people, texting people, Facebook messaging people, direct messaging people saying, hey, on Saturday, May 28th, would you want to run 30 miles with me? And every person was like, no, no way. <laughs> That's terrible. Isn't that longer than a marathon? And then I would share the vision and the heartbeat that every 30 seconds, someone becomes a victim of sex trafficking. The average age of a sex trafficking victim is 13, which is the same age as a seventh grade child. It's terrible. And it's horrible. And I recently learned this last year or two years ago that the average age of a young boy who's trafficked is nine to 12 years old. Oh my goodness. I mean, preteen is the average age. And so I would share that. And within a couple of days, a lot of the people I had talked to were like, I hate running Brent, but I hate trafficking a whole lot more. I oh, mean, absolutely. You know what I mean? And you are one of those people. And so never forget this day. One of the almost unbelievable surreal days in my life, 30th birthday, Cedar Valley Church, right, where my whole life had been changed all those years before, standing in the north parking lot and seeing 48 of us that said, we'll run 30 miles, we'll bike 30 miles for freedom, and seeing 75 others that were doing a 5K version of what would become 30 for freedom. And just, it was 123 people that decided to run or walk or bike in some form or fashion that day. And, you know, the goal of 30,000 seemed like a mountain. And by the end of the time when we collected funds, it turned into $81,346. Unbelievable. It was so crazy, Jeff. Cause, and you were there, I mean, you were part of it. You, you were part of day one. And just the thought of like, okay, if, if this is the God we serve, if he is the even more, you know what I mean? Like immeasurably more than we could ask for or imagine God. Like this is, this is a, an example of that, that, you know, played out on my 30th birthday. Unbelievable. And that was it. I mean, that was it. That's the end of the story. Like, I'm like, okay, that was, that was, a, that was an unbelievable thing that God did. And we gave them all the money right away to the you nonprofits. And then my inbox is blown up. Hey, I can't wait to bring my youth group next year. Can't wait to bring my church next year. Hey, can't wait to bring my team next year. And I was like, next year, I'm not turning 30 again, friends. Like that's it. You know, yeah. you get one 30th birthday. Exactly. But it was overwhelming. If we had 400 people show up the next year, um, our peak was in 2019, um, before the pandemic, we had over a thousand people that decided they wanted to run for freedom, 5k, 10k, half marathon, 30 mile ultra marathon. And the crazy thing about how God works is that we have just seen him multiply the fundraising that's happened. Uh, we've seen over $832,000 come in. Wow. Come on. 2020. And it's just been unreal. And, um, I always want to share this when we talk about 30 for freedom, we're not like, I don't, it's it, every person who does something with 30 for freedom does so on a volunteer basis, myself included the board, every videographer, every photographer, every graphic artist, every person who helps with social media. We've also said, Hey, we want to give our time to fight sex trafficking. We want to give of our talents to fight sex trafficking. We've had some unbelievably generous people that have come along over the last six years who said, hey, you know, we want to we want to give all of our finances to help fight sex trafficking. So we give 100% of every donation directly to our carefully vetted nonprofit partners, and they have to do these three things: trafficking prevention, mm -hmm. res rescue operations, and then holistic survivor care. Prevention is the greatest possible thing, so that someone doesn't have to experience the nightmare of trafficking. Yes, rescue, rescue operations. I mean, that's super intense. I met with one of the guys that actually goes into brothels in his country and rescues these girls. And 
it's un, it's unbelievable. I mean, like I always picture like Liam Neeson and Taken. Yes, you know? absolutely. Like this is a pastor like that goes there and that rescues the girls. Wow. And it's not just a physical rescue, as we both know from the, our wives in the counseling world. There is so much, you know what I mean, restoration work. Yeah. To happen. And yeah. So the organizations that we support do those three things. Yeah. So when someone says, hey, we want to give, we had an unbelievable sponsor this year that gave $10,000. I got to look him in the eye over, you know, virtual and basically say, hey, this $10,000 gift is going to change a lot of lives and we're giving 100% of it directly, you know what I mean, to the front yeah. line. Yeah. It's been, this, it's a God thing, Jeff. Like I, I can't take credit for 30 for freedom. Um, it's been, it's one of the most unbelievable things just to, to see happen and people get passionate and, and decide that they want to, you know, put their body through suffering, a little bit of suffering for someone who's suffering a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm inspired just to see our community grow and people that said, Hey, we want to be a part of this every year. We want to be a sponsor every year. You know, um, again, I just come at, come, I sit back and look and I'm like, okay, God, this is, this is your work. Yeah. Grateful to steward this for, for now, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no greater, you know, cause in my, in my mind, you know, than prevention, you know, rescue and holistic, you know, help. I mean, there's really, that's, you know, this is a huge humanitarian crisis in our, in our lifetime. So we should be doing something about it. And to anyone listening to this, um, what Brent said about, you know, being a hundred percent going to the organizations, that's a gold standard um, in the nonprofit world. If you're listening to this, most organizations take 13 to 17%. So that is off the top, you know, you, that's just for organizational costs. So, and you got to, that's part of it, but to have a hundred percent go, um, is unbelievable so that you have all the people on the board, videographers. I mean, that's thousands of dollars of time, um, that people are donating in addition to that. That's not counted in the 832,000 number, I would assume. And that's just, uh, that's unbelievable. I mean, that's what this people stepping up to help other people. And that's incredible. I love that so much. Yeah. It's, it's been a, yeah. The, like when people do, we have an amazing team 30 called 30 story. And they do all the video work, the video, they had the drone that first year when you were there. Yeah. Yeah. They've donated thousands and thousands of, you know, out, you know, dollars worth of their video work. Oh, that's for sure. Not, that's not included in the 832. And so um, my heart has just been blown away by the people that have come from all over the place that just say, let's do something about it. And it's crazy that this year, our goal is to break them $1 million mark since mm. we started. Uh, but it's crazy that it all started with, a generous Marine who said, let's hmm. That's you know. so cool. I love that. Yeah. So when is the race this year? I think I saw you just change the date, right? Yep. August 14th. Okay. Is going to be the date. We have five chapters in Minnesota that are happening kind of all over the state um, to give people options. There's a lot of current, currently there's a lot of restrictions in Minnesota on events like that. And so for us to do it in May, like we normally do, we said, let's just move it out to August uh, when it's, sunny hopefully there's you know a lot less happening with covid right it's a safer environment but we do right. have chapters in minnesota so that people can you know if they're from southern minnesota they can go to falda if they're from way up in the iron range they can go to hibbing if they're central minnesota we have two central minnesota chapters in the twin cities so gotcha okay I'm to keep people safe. yeah that's awesome that's awesome. All right. One more thing. And then, uh, and we'll, we'll wrap it up. I have an obligatory Enneagram question. What is your Enneagram number? Do you know what the Enneagram is? Yes, I do. 
Um, I am a seven. Okay. Don't want to never want to guess, you know, cause that's like super faux pas, which I don't even know what that means, but you know, like, I feel like that's super makes a ton of sense to me the whole time. I'm like, yeah, this, this is a hundred percent in there. It's great. Well, You're like Bob Goff, you know, junior. Oh, like that's what I think about you. Oh guys. man. That's a high compliment. He is it one is. of my favorite people on the earth. Yeah. That's, oh. that's a word association game in my mind. Brent Silky, Bob Goff. Wow. I don't if know you I'm had, sure. if you had a, a lake house, where you're just waving people in. So I have a friend who lived in San Diego and they said one time they were uh, driving on a boat and um, they were driving on the boat. And then all of a sudden they saw this crazy guy on the end of the dock, waving them in. They're like, come on in, come on in. And they're like, okay. So they drive over. It's Bob Goff. No. Him and Maria Goff bring out sandwiches, hand sandwiches to these people and then talk to him. And I think they got on their boat and drove around San Diego and hung out with him for like a half hour. What? Yes. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm sorry. What? You know, like <laughs> who does that? I mean, that's wow. incredible. He that's, is. that's you word association right there. So we just need to get you a lake house somewhere in Minnetonka. <laughs> and then you can be waving people and come on in. I got some healthy keto snacks or whatever, <laughs> you know, I don't know. So oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. I read that book uh, about the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. The road back to you. Yeah. And it starts at eight and it goes around nine and one, two, three, four. So I thought I was something else. And then it got to seven and I was like, no, that's, I'm, that's me. Yeah. All right. Let me see. What do you think I am? Are you a nine? No. A one? Let me get, let me tell you. Okay. Uh, no, I, I didn't read the book past chapter one. Oh, so you're an eight. Yeah. It's not good. Not good. Why is that not good? I feel like eights have just the worst rap ever. So my, I'm an eight, my wife's a nine. And so if you look on the, in the book uh, or on the Enneagram Institute, it says that eight and the nine are like the worst people to be married because it says it's like an immovable object, which is the nine being hit by an unstoppable force, <laughs> which is the eight. So you could just put a picture of our arguments right there <laughs> you guys are so great man <laughs> that's so funny but anyways i have talked to everyone on this podcast about the enneagram and not because i want to be in morgan cron because i just really don't want to do that much study but just because i find it super interesting like it really has actually helped me a lot oh yeah and so like all of a sudden i'm looking at it and i'm like the dark side motivations of the enneagram eight and i'm like oh no it just makes me feel so like someone's reading your mail, you know, and I'm like, oh man, but then it's really helpful because you yeah. can flip it. So anyways, it gives you a framework. And I think that that's a exactly. framework in a common language, which like we can talk about this. I'm like, oh yeah, totally. Wing seven. Yeah, I get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think it's, I, I appreciate that in, that in that regard. Yeah, for sure. I mean, because then you, like you said, you can move forward, especially someone who's, you know, moving forward. I'm going to be looking, I think, I'm going to put a timeline on this. I'd say about another six to nine months, you're going to have another groundbreaking idea. That's just going to, you know, shake the earth for, for all of eternity. You know what I mean? Either. I don't know what it's going to be. You might, you know, come up with a running sock or something. I am just throwing something into the universe, you know, holy socks, you know, who knows it's an idea, but you know, something like that, that's just going to be groundbreaking. I believe. Um, I do have something where I feel like very, very much, um, is a God prompted thing. And I don't have any plans to make this an annual thing. Um, dear friend of mine in 2018 um, went missing. 
and found out that he had taken his life. Mm. And I was devastated, absolutely devastated. Uh, I, you know, think about him every day. Yeah. And um, sitting at his, his funeral right behind his family and just seeing just, I mean, absolute devastation across the entire row. Mm. And this thought came that I have to do something so that other families don't have to experience this level of pain yeah. um, from something like depression and suicide. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what it would be. I'm, I'm, I'm very much a crockpot guy. Um, you know, in recording a, a, a podcast like this, it might sound like, oh, he's a more of a microwave guy. I'm a crockpot guy. Yeah. Stirs and simmers. Um, and so I was thinking about what could I do to bring awareness to this issue of, uh, you know, of depression, suicidal ideation and things. And so the, the thought came, you know, I did some research. I found out that every 40 seconds, so it sounds like a lot like the 30 for freedom every 30 seconds, but every 40 seconds on average, um, somebody completes suicide. And what? It's like 800,000 people a year globally. That is insane. That's way too high. And I, you know, the stats have gotten worse, right? With COVID. And sure. Yeah. And so long story short, I just felt like I got to do something. I have to do something to bring awareness to this, to help destigmatize counseling, um, to make a difference. And so I connected with um, Julie Wilson of Anthem of Hope. Um, her husband, um, Jared Wilson, um, you know, famous pastor, um, you know, had lots of um, passion in the same area. I started Anthem of Hope to help those who, um, you know, are struggling really really struggling in the darkness Mm -hmm. of depression and um tragically you know he lost his life uh, a couple years ago um actually it was just over a year ago this fall Mm. um and just i was wrecked by that news too you know and just um so i have um since connected with christian and julie wilson um about hey could we do could we do a run could we do an event that would actually bring awareness to this issue and could we help fund your organization? And so again, the model of 100% of the donations, I don't ever want to touch the money. It goes yeah. to them. Yeah. And so um, we're putting together something called the Hope Run. And it's going to be at Twin Cities Marathon 2021. Lord willing, they can have it. And the idea is this, Jeff, and this might be the most physically brutal thing I've ever done. The idea is that I have a brightly colored shirt on that says the Hope Run but it's super like obnoxiously neon or bright. And every person who's a part of the hope run has the same exact shirt. It's got the suicide prevention number on the back mm-hmm. got the website for Anthem of hope. And at mile one, I pull off the course and do 40 push-ups because every 40 seconds, somebody completes suicide and the entire group of people there with me at that, whoever's in charge of that mile, we all do 40 push-ups if we can. I get back up and I keep running or whoever's running with me, we keep running. Everyone else is going to be like, what the heck was that? What's going on? And now all the people at this mile marker one can share about and bring awareness to Mm. the issue of, you know, depression and suicide and that kind of stuff. Mile two, I do the same thing, 40 pushups, step off the course. So it's safe. And um, I've shared this idea with Twin Cities in Motion, the organizers of Twin Cities Marathon. And I said, I have a burning passion to bring light to the darkness here. Yeah. And they said, well, we want you to be one of our ambassadors for the marathon. We want you to do wow. this. And we're going to help. And so amazing group, amazing community. And so, so cool. 
at the end, we finish at the Capitol, right? Minnesota's Capitol. It's the only Capitol in the entire United States of America where the church is on the top of the hill and it comes down to where the Capitol building is. It's the only um, in the entire United States that's set up that way with the church on the high ground. And so you come over the hill, there's this fire trucks with the big finisher flat, you know, with the big American flag, the finish line. And if, and you finish, you run through the thing, you get your finisher medal and you go to this big lawn, uh, the Capitol lawn. And I just picture like hundreds of us wearing these brightly neon shirts, doing the final set of 40 pushups together, mm. bringing awareness, bringing just this, you know, light to the darkness of depression and, and suicidal ideation. And the goal would be not just to do 40 pushups per mile, but to raise $40,000 for Anthem of Hope. And I asked Julie, I said, what would $40,000 mean to your organization? She said, it would realize so many of our, it would make so many of the dreams we have come yeah. to be actualized. I said, well, let's do it. And so the idea is that there, I'm thinking of, you know, if you do 40 pushups, 26 times, and then the finish line, if you add that, it's 1,080 pushups over the course Holy of the Holy smokes. So it's going to be brutal, um, but I'm willing to put the training in, put the time in so that we can raise the awareness. And I, I've known so many young people over the years in youth ministry and college ministry that um, have tragically lost their life, you know, yeah. completed suicide. And so um, I don't know if, you know, their families want to be in this with me or, or people that have been impacted by suicide. Um, but I, I just know that I have to do something about this issue. Yeah. And so anyway, that's, that's, what's cooking. That's what's simmering right now in the crock pot, but that's coming up the first Sunday in October, 2021, Lord willing, if we're able to have the marathon. And I also have a contingency plan and if it has to go virtual again. And so we'll do what we can. Wow. Thank God for people like you who are just making a difference. Seriously. That's so stinking cool. Like I said that like half jokingly, like, Oh, six to nine months. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, you're like thinking of another way to make a difference. Like, you know, bring light into the darkness of, of that situation. It is, man, it's such a painful situation for the people and families themselves, you know, and there's so much shame associated with it. And, you know, just to bring light and bring hope and bring unity of people that are saying we care and we're going to give money and we're going to help you. And there's other options you know, and that is just a really, really powerful thing. So man, I'd love to support you in that and anything I can do and hopes if someone's listening to that and they want to run, give, they absolutely should 100% because, you know, just like sex trafficking, I, you know, I just read a stat today that 35% uh, of Americans say that loneliness is their most connected feeling. Like that's what they feel um, most and uh, only 8% of Americans have spoken. Now, obviously this is, this is one that's before COVID, but have spoken to a neighbor and had community with someone in their community um, a year, like only 8% once a year. So, wow. you know, just the divide of people and the loneliness. I mean, it's just, it's really, really, really prevalent. Um, and you see it in these stats and it's just such such a difficult situation. So, man, I hope you uh, a lot of a lot of favor and a lot of blessing on that because it is such um, a worthy cause. You know, I think we give our lives to such unworthy causes, but that is not going to be said of the brave guy of who you are. And that I, I love that so much. I appreciate that. Seriously, I mean, that's incredible. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate that, man.
Yeah, dude. Well, it's been an absolute blast. Thanks for staying up late. And uh, I know you're, I can't believe you're a late guy working out. I'm going to be, I'm, I'm like over here. I need to, I need to be able to stay up longer because I haven't watched a TV show with my wife in forever. It, it doesn't matter if it's like 6 p.m. or 10. I'm out. So it's a problem. <laughs> it's a problem. But thank you so much for taking time, man. I really appreciate it. Been an honor, man. I appreciate you. I don't know about you, but I was really encouraged by Brent's story. I love the fact that he's not defined by the words that were spoken over him at birth, that he was illegitimate and that he's abandoned. No, those words aren't having an effect on him today. He's He's been loved. He's been cared for. He's been accepted. And what he does with that acceptance is he's standing in the gap for people who are broken. He's being a light in a dark situation. Like he's one of those guys who's just infectious. Like, you know, those people I'm talking about, like when you're around them, like you just like want to like do good things. Like you want to change the world. Like you want to go bear hunting with a switch. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's like one of those guys who's like, I can do it. And I love that hope that just shines out of him. And, and it's such a powerful thing, no matter whether he's helping college students navigate their, their life in the season of, of college, or maybe he's standing in the gap with families who've had a loved one commit suicide, or he's, he's standing in the gap with people who are dealing with human trafficking, and he's raising awareness, and he's raising money, and he's doing all this incredible stuff. He's standing in the gap. He's being a hope in dark situations. And I hope you hear that today. It's so encouraging. And I hope you feel challenged today. Where can you step up? Where can you stand in the gap for someone who's hurting, for someone who's broken, for someone who needs someone to do something? Like, I love that he just has the courage to run, the courage to do something. Like, he just thought, I got to do something about this. I love that. I, we need more of that. We need more people who are just going to decide that they're going to do something about pain that's happening in this world. I want to encourage you. You can do it. You can make a difference. Your presence matters. What you do matters. And I want to thank you for joining me on this journey of where they've been podcast. Like, It's such a blast. I love being able to do this. It's just, I'm in my attic right now, just recording an episode, and I love everything about this podcast. It's such a passion of mine. I love getting to share these stories. It's one of the, my favorite things that I get to do. Thank you for listening. Thank you for reaching out and sharing encouraging messages and sharing it with friends. It means a lot, and it's so cool to see how these stories are impacting people. Can't wait to share more stories of where they've been.